Well, I hope you brought your Bible today. Uh, if you did, open to Matthew chapter 7. If you do not want to use a digital Bible, and I don't necessarily blame you, I don't much rather have a paper Bible um, with me, but if, you, if you're like me and would rather have a paper Bible but don't own one, please come see me after the worship service uh, because I would love to give you a Bible. Uh, over the next six weeks, we're going to look at stories of Jesus that, that show us why, why people love Jesus so much, why we can love uh, Jesus. And uh, the good news is both, that Jesus has come to us and that Jesus is, he really is the best news. He is the best news we could ever have. And so we're going to look at these stories of Jesus and remind ourselves, maybe notice in a new way, if you're kind of newer to church, maybe noticing for the first time why we love Jesus so much. So we're going to look at uh, Jesus's words today, and what I've done is uh, selected the, the very end of uh, Jesus's, his, probably his most famous talk or sermon, his words, uh, known as the Sermon on the Mount, and it starts in Matthew chapter 5, ends uh, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at the very end of it, Matthew 7, uh, starting with verse 13, and this is what he teaches to this, this big crowd of kind of common everyday uh, people, villagers out, uh, not, not highfalutin people, just regular Jills and Joes. Um, and this is what he, he tells them. Look at verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and men, many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears fruit, bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, and does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. 
When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Um, That's a striking finishing statement there, that the crowds were amazed at Jesus, at his words, at his authority at which he spoke. Um, He had authority, not like the, the religious teachers of the law during the day. What were the, what were the differences between Jesus and the religious teachers? Because they, they both taught uh, the importance of obedience to God's word. So the, the religious teachers, the Pharisee group, uh, the Jewish teachers of the law, they, they taught stringent obedience to, to God's law. And you might remember if you've read this sermon before earlier in Jesus' talk, he told the crowds, you've seen them, you've seen those religious leaders out on the street corners and they're praying, wanting to be seen by others and to be admired for their spirituality, for their strict obedience to the law. They have a, a, those religious leaders have, a, have defined a pretty narrow road for religious people to go down, made narrow by those rigid religious practices. And then Jesus says, but if you think that's narrow... My road is even more narrow than that. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only if you find it. Broad is the road that everyone else is on that leads to destruction. So we need to find out about this narrow road that is Jesus, Jesus' road, don't we? Here's our first point. Uh, If you've taken notes in the bulletin, Jesus provides one way to be a true Christian, one way, one road. Jesus doesn't give many roads as options. There's the, 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 the broad road, he says, that leads to destruction, one narrow road that leads to life. So what is Jesus' road, and who is the person that travels down that road? If there's, so, if, there's, if there's many, if there are many that choose the broad road, who is it that will choose, that will want to go down the narrow road of Jesus? Um, Jesus teaches about the importance of recognizing the, the difference between a person's inner, inner life and, and outward actions, doesn't he? He gives two examples in the scripture that we're going to look at uh, for this, uh, having to look at the inner life. In verse 15, Jesus says, Watch out for false prophets. His first example, false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, who are those false prophets? You know, when we think of a prophet, uh, we might first think of, perhaps, as someone offering future predictions. Uh, that was an infrequent role of a prophet, an occasional role of a prophet. The, the more frequent role for a prophet from God was to share a word from God in the present to God's people. Today, we can think of false prophets as uh, people who, uh, who handle and teach God's word improperly, um, in an improper way, either by saying something like this, um, I've heard from the Lord, and, and here is the new thing that God is saying to us today. Or maybe saying something like this, I've read God's word, and here is a new interpretation that no one has ever come up before with before. 
that I want to give to you today. And, and it's interesting because we love novelty, I think, as people. We, in general, we, we, we love new inventions. Um, uh, the, the show Shark Tank, have you seen? It's been going on for a while. Shark Tank. Have you watched Shark Tank where the, where the, 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 you know, the new entrepreneurs, the, the young entrepreneurs or the innovators come out and they present their idea to the, 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 the panel of funders uh, trying to get people to invest in their, their new product, their new, their new thing? Um, have you watched Shark Tank and thought, oh, I, I, I could have come up with something like that? You know, we, 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 we are attracted to, to new things and to the latest and greatest and I want to suggest that is not how we should treat the Word of God. If, if someone were to say, I've got this new way to understand God's Word. No one has come up with this way before. Watch out. Watch out. That, that very well could be a false prophet today. Jesus says, watch out for them, these false prophets. How do you know a false prophet when you see one? Well, Jesus says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. He is implying something. You cannot tell a false prophet by outward appearance. You have to look at an inner quality. And then Jesus gives his second example, and that's the the two trees. There are two trees. One that produces bad fruit, the other produces good fruit. It's the inner health of the tree that's going to determine whether or not it produces good fruit or bad fruit. You have to look inwardly. Jesus says these false prophets are inwardly ferocious wolves. You have to look at their inside, their inner life. Outwardly, they wear sheep's clothing. Outwardly, think about that, they look harmless. They're in a sheep suit. They look, they look, uh, they look harmless, not threatening at all. If, uh, you know, if someone were to come in and just stand up here and shout out fire and brimstone to you um, in, in a real careless way, venomous way, uh, you know, it might be easy not to listen to that guy. Um, that's, that's not who Jesus is portraying here, this, this person that comes across very non-threatening. Um, if if someone uh, is full of pride and just self-absorption, it might be pretty easy not to listen to that person. I think Jesus is pointing out that these false prophets, you have to look a little deeper uh, to see what, what, why they're dangerous, what, why they're producing false uh, bad fruit. Jesus says, you need to watch out for these false prophets. Outwardly, they're going to look great. They're going to look great, Jesus is saying. They're, they're coming in in a sheep suit. They're going to look great. So you need to look for the fruit. Their inner life will produce fruit. You can judge whether it is good or bad fruit. The shocking thing from Jesus, Jesus is teaching, is, is what you cannot look for to tell false prophets from, from, from good ones. He implies something that you can't look for as an indicator. What is it? It's good works. 
good works is not the fruit, Jesus says, will distinguish true believers from false ones. Because Jesus then gives this shocking bit of teaching. In verse 21, Jesus makes a statement that is, it's an incredibly sobering statement. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, you can, from a human point of view, have performed pretty remarkable acts for the kingdom of God, things that would be qualified as good works, and be squarely on that wide road that leads to destruction. Good works, according to Jesus here, is not the fruit that you can look to to distinguish between the the false prophets and and, and good ones, false Christians and good ones, and, and true Christians. These people that Jesus is referring to in this teaching, they have performed miracles. They have cast out demons in Jesus' name. They have prophesied in Jesus' name, which means at a minimum that they were a witness of Jesus, that they were telling people of Jesus. And Jesus says, they were not saved. And here's what we see. Outward acts alone do not identify you as a true Christian. The good, the, the, the good works is not the fruit that Jesus says will identify a true Christian from a false one. In fact, Jesus says, you can have a lot of good works that come from your life and you still might not have salvation. Think about what Jesus said, I never knew you. How could Jesus have never known them? Well, what Jesus is pointing to is that they weren't in a relationship, that he wasn't in a relationship with them. They weren't in a relationship with Jesus. So here's another thing that we see. Jesus' words are meant to draw us into a relationship with him. And these people that Jesus refers to, they've, they've heard from others about Jesus. Maybe they've heard Jesus teach himself. Heard Jesus himself teach. But Jesus' words did not lead them into a relationship with him. And, and you see relationship with Jesus is the essence, the very essence of salvation. It's being in this relationship with Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus says in John chapter 17? Many of you know this this verse, verse 3. Jesus says, now this is eternal life. What is it? That they know you, that people know you. He's praying to his Father that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's this knowing relationship. It's being a relationship that is essential, that is the essence of our salvation. And in the absence of a relationship with Jesus, where you can be secure in Jesus' love, in the absence of that loving relationship with Jesus, you will, people will, look for security somewhere else. And often the number one false place of security is outward acts of obedience. So look at verse 22. Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many, verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Did we not perform these outward acts of obedience, Lord? They were using good works as the grounds for why Jesus should admit them into the kingdom of heaven. And when Jesus turned them away, they asked, "Uh, is it because we're not doing enough? 
Because look at all that we're doing. Didn't you see us out there? All the good stuff that we were doing, Jesus. We were healing in your name. We were casting out demons in your name. We thought we were obeying you. And this is incredibly important to us because Jesus has just said, the wise person is the one who obeys, who hears my words and obeys my teaching. But here are people who very well thought they were being obedient, but it wasn't counting for anything. In fact, Jesus calls them, or you look, what does Jesus call them? Evildoers. Evildoers, what? They were casting out demons and prophesying in Jesus' name. They called people's attention to the word of God, and Jesus says, yeah, you evildoers. And that might be the most shocking thing that Jesus says in this scripture. He calls them evildoers. So if you think that your obedience gains you any leverage with Jesus, then you're wrong. The only way Christ will receive you is not when you come proud of your accomplishments and achievements, but how? When you come lowly. At the very beginning of this talk, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Jesus reveals what it means to come in the right way before the Lord. Blessed is the, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the right way to come to Jesus. Poor in spirit doesn't, doesn't mean to be spiritually empty, to be uh, uh, just not caring about spiritual life with, with Christ. It doesn't mean to be spiritual, spiritually empty, but rather that we claim no spiritual moral or moral grounds for why Jesus should accept us. Poor in spirit means coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, I can contribute absolutely nothing to earning a spot in the kingdom of heaven. It means coming to Jesus and saying to him, Jesus, you will have to do 100% of the work bringing me into your kingdom. And that is, can be scary to think that of yourself because when we can contribute nothing to, uh, to our entry into the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus does everything, in fact, he pays with his life to give us salvation, well, what does that mean that we have to say to Jesus? Not, Jesus, you owe us, but Jesus, we owe you everything. I owe you everything because you've done everything to bring me into this saving relationship with you. I owe you my very life. See, it's when you get to that point, when you say, Jesus, I owe you everything, my very life, that you can be in this true, right relationship with Jesus where he will say, I know you. I know you because we're in this relationship. Why did Jesus say, my path is narrow? Because not many people go on it. At first, it might not seem welcoming, saying, I owe you my very life. It's, it's, it's yours. It's narrow because it requires great humility, emptying yourself. You have to believe 
of yourself, that you are completely dependent upon God for your salvation, Christ for your salvation. And, and this is why this is, this is, that's a different way of thinking for us because we are so used to relying on performance for a grade. If you want, if you want the teacher, uh, you know, we got this group of sixth graders up here. You want the English teacher to give you an A in the class. What do you have to do? Yeah, I have to do some, do some good work, right? Write the good essay. Do your homework. I, I, I got to do something. If you want to convince your boss why she should give you a raise, what do you do? You, you got to come with something. <laughs> uh, I got to come with some good work or some, some good, uh, uh, you know, uh, good dedication as an employee. If you want the bank to give you a loan, what do you have to come with? You have to come with evidence that you got some good credit. If you want a saving relationship with Jesus, it means you come to him not with works, not with performance, not even with potential like, oh, Jesus, I know I can do better in the future. It means coming to him with just emptiness. Uh, And then receiving as a gift this relationship that he wants you to have with him. And then in that relationship, Jesus fills you and he changes your insides. You receive this new inner life in this relationship with Jesus. And out of that new inner life is where you can truly listen to Jesus' word and obey. Not as a good work that makes you right with Jesus, but out of an overflow of this new inner life that Jesus has given you. And that is the narrow road. What does it take to what does it take to uh, to walk down that road? A true Christian, I, I think these are three things that we learn from the Scripture. A true Christian is teachable, humble, and wholehearted towards Christ. Teachable to be teachable means that we want to learn from Jesus. We we want Him speaking in our life. We want to have God's Word in front of us so that we can listen to what Jesus is saying to us through it. And then Jesus says, someone who has built his house on, on a solid foundation, the rock, that is someone who has built their life um, on listening to my word and obeying it. Verse 24 from, from Matthew chapter 7, these are people who hear my words, hear these words of mine and put them into practice. That is the person that has built his or her house on a solid foundation. So we want to be people of God's word. Um, you walked in the sanctuary, you saw the tables in the back. Unless this was your first time here, you're like, well, that's new. Um, tables in the back of the sanctuary. After the service, we're going to have group leaders at those tables, and they're going to, tell, they're going to be there to tell you about their Bible study, their Sunday school class, their, their women's group, their men's group, so that we can be people who listen to the word of God so that we can learn what Jesus is saying to us through his word. If the, let me suggest something. Uh, and, I, and I suggest this humbly, but, but I think it's right. Um, if the only time that you're looking at God's word is by yourself, it is too easy to start making God's word say what you want it to say. 
we need community to be good students of God's Word, learning, studying God's Word together. So I invite you, after communion, after the Lord's Supper, we're going to take a moment um, to, to, to go and to maybe find a group for you. I'd like for you to think about doing that. If you're not in a group, find one of these groups so that you can study God's Word together and learn. So a, a true Christian is teachable, and a true Christian is humble. Humility goes with being teachable. To be humble is to realize that there is nothing inside of you, there is nothing that you can do that will convince Jesus that you should be saved. Not even your obedience. Obedience that is pleasing to Jesus is, is when it's this fruit that is, that, is come, that, is, that is growing within you because of this new inner life that you have that has been transformed with your, through your relationship with Jesus. Um, when that fruit is the result of you giving your whole life to him. In other words, when you are wholehearted to Christ, and that's the third thing I wanted you to write down, a true Christian is teachable and humble and wholehearted to Christ. To be wholehearted to Jesus means to be pure in heart or to have an undivided heart towards Jesus. Um, a heart that, that wants to have Jesus' word, the, the word of God, um, before you so that you can listen and be changed by it. And, and let me tell you, friends, when we have the word of God before us and we're listening to it, it's not just words that we're receiving. It is the word. It is Jesus himself. Jesus comes to us through his words. In, in John chapter 15, uh, Jesus provides this really important insight. He says in verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Um, I think I did not delete some words. It should not say stature, blah, blah, blah. Just, just that. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Um, and we get that, right? We, we get this, this vine and branches metaphor, and, and, and the vine is what gives the nutrients to the branches so that they can, they can grow fruit. We get that. We understand that. Um, you cut off a branch from the vine and it will die. And then two verses later, Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. And so we see Jesus remaining us. What does it mean for Jesus to remain in us? Well, one thing it means is for his words to remain in us. Jesus Jesus remaining in us and Jesus' words remaining in us. Those go hand in hand. Jesus abides in us through his word. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. His words nourish us because he abides with us through his word. In John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus says, The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. My words are life because Jesus is life. So we think of words maybe inspiring us. We think of words giving us encouragement or hope. Jesus says more than that. He says, my words are life. Well, how can they be words of life? Only when Jesus comes to us through his word. So to be a true Christian means to be wholehearted towards Christ, to, to seek this life-giving relationship with Jesus. 
how do you have a life-giving relationship with Jesus? Prayer, yes. Talking to him, yes. But if you don't have his word before you, and read and reflect on his word, and listen to who Jesus is and to who you are, because that's, that's what God's word does, is it reveals to us who God is, who Jesus is, and who we are, And you know this, true and strong relationships are only built, or always built, only and always, built on true understanding of that person you're in relationship with and true understanding of yourself. And when you hold God's word in front of you and you listen, it will reveal who Jesus is, and it will reveal who you are. And who are you? Who am I? Empty before Jesus and infinitely loved by Jesus. And that is what Jesus wants for you, to know that you are infinitely loved. And this is what makes this narrow road. Why would anyone want to travel down this narrow road of Jesus? This is what makes that narrow road road actually life-giving and wide open. It's not constricting after all. Constricting is always grading yourself on your performance. That's constricting. What if you knew your infinite value by hearing that from the Lord who created you? You only will know that if you are in a growing relationship with Jesus. And through that relationship, he will tell you, I do know you. I do know you. And I love you. Are you spiritually hungry? Then turn to Christ's words. Jesus, you come to us with words of life. And I think of what your disciple Peter said, you have the words of eternal life. They are words that, through which we know you, we, we, we have you in our hearts, in our lives. Thank you. Thank you that You want to dwell within us? Thank you, Lord. And thank you that you have done all of the work required that is needed so that we can be in that relationship with you. We haven't had to earn any of that. We cannot earn any of that. Help us to hunger for your word. Help us to, in in the, in the, 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 the busy schedules that we have, for us to, Say, enough is enough. I'm making time for the most important thing, and that is a relationship with you as we read, reflect, learn from, and have dwelling in us your word. May that be true for us. In Christ's name, amen.